I want to warn you that the descriptions in this podcast are quite graphic, and some are really strange, actually. Now, anyone who loves true crime has spent time looking at crime scenes. We notice blood pooled on the mattress and the floor. We see bullet holes in the door. We evaluate the blood splatter on the walls and ceiling. And we look at footprints leading down the stairs. The police put up tape to preserve the evidence at the scene, take their samples and their pictures, and then what? Well, in our minds, those scenes are preserved forever. In reality, someone has to clean them up. It takes a special person to get into the crime scene cleanup, and former homicide detective Ben Mim is one of a kind. You may think all it takes to clean a murder scene is a strong stomach and a strong arm. No, but to build up a successful business like Ben has, it takes a whole lot more. The most interesting thing? Talking to people is the number one thing out here. Uh, when you get to a scene, mm-hmm. everybody is, they, they act differently. You know, when you're, when you got a person who's, you know, had a death, some people are, are kind of joking and they're laughing and that's the way they deal with it. Other people are so distraught, you know, you know, you got to know how to coddle them. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. When we take a call over the phone, you know, this person, their husband may have just committed suicide. Just the other day, I was talking to a woman and she was just losing it. And I'm just telling her, listen, don't worry. We're going to get there. We're going to help you. We're going to take care of this. And, you know, I'm not going to discuss the scene and, or, or we didn't even talk about price. We just said, let me get out there. Let me help you out. We'll figure out what we're going to do. And, you know, you, you, you need to calm them down. Um, and, mm-hmm. and then because they don't want to go back in. That's the number one thing you hear. I don't want to go back in there. I don't want to go back in there. Of course not. Uh, you know, and some mm-hmm. people say, well, you know what? I, I was thinking I could clean it myself. And I tell them, don't do that. That's the worst memory you're going to ever have. You don't want to have that. As a former police detective, Ben has a unique perspective that allows him to be sensitive to the needs of crime victims and also the needs of the police. When he entered the police academy, Ben never expected to be working on the tail end of a murder scene. He rose quickly through the ranks to homicide detective and had a long career ahead of him investigating murders. Until the day everything changed. Uh, you know, it was, it was back in 2000 when I had a, you know, a life-changing experience. Um, we, were, we were chasing a, a, a felony suspect that had shot a woman four times in a bank robbery. Uh, and I ended up in a position uh, where we were on a full surveillance at night looking for him. He was, he was on the run with his girlfriend. Uh, and I ended up finding him down in, in uh, East Los Angeles and with a partner. And I ended up getting in front of this car and he tried to run me down. So I shot to defend, defend myself, uh, ended up shooting him multiple times. His car rushed by, but when my partner pulled up, uh, I went to get back in the car. I got one leg in the car and, uh, the car sped out and, and it tore me down an alley. So basically I suffered injuries from that night, uh, with a broken pelvis, uh, separated shoulder, um, four compression fractures on my spine. And uh, I spent a year almost in and out of surgeries from the hospital. Uh, I've had actually four hip, four hip replacements at this point, uh, two shoulder surgeries, uh, and one hiatal hernia surgery where it tore my diaphragm. So it, it was uh, a pretty ending moment of my life uh, being in law enforcement. It, it just changed everything. And, you know, when you're done in law enforcement, you they basically say thanks for your time and service and out you go and you get your disability retirement and you know, you're supposed to live off of it. Well, 
it wasn't enough to make my house payment. So I had to come up with a plan and the plan was real simple. It was, you know, every day in, in homicide, we were looking at situations inside homes that were, you know, people are constantly asking me, do you know somebody that cleans this up? You know, do you know somebody can help us? And I was like, you know what, we could do this. Uh, so I started this thing in my garage with an 18 year old kid and it was, mm-hmm. it was an experience. You know, we, we looked up and we studied about disease. We studied about cleaning and how to clean and what to do. Uh, I got all the state licensing through the state of California and uh, we were going out on scenes and it was, it was kind of a crack up. I mean, we, at the beginning, we didn't have a clue. Uh, you know, it was almost like mm-hmm. the movie sunshine cleaners. We're, we're sitting there and right. we'd see a scene and go, well, how are we going to do this one? How are we going to do this one? And we'd work through mm-hmm. the process. Uh, in the first year, we might have done, you know, 60 scenes, you know, and that's not mm-hmm. a lot. Well, it, in our neck of the woods now, I mean, I'm, I did over a thousand scenes last year. Almost 20 years ago, when Ben started in this business, there was very little information and regulation regarding crime scene cleanup. There wasn't anyone for Ben to ask about the best way to clean up a crime scene, let alone how to build a crime scene cleaning business. We were going into homes and our focus was cleaning up after death scenes. So someone would commit a suicide um, or just a natural cause death. They'd be down for a week or two and you'd have a decomposition, which produces tons of odor. You have maggots and and flies, uh, those type of things. Or, you know, sometimes you get a shunt death, which causes a lot of blood flow. Uh, they run through the house. So we were focusing on, on nothing but residential. And we were getting a lot of referrals from local law enforcement that knew me. Uh, and then we started to think about it. And I started saying, well, geez, you know, back when I was a police officer, you know, we, we use the fire department for everything. And uh, so I realized that there's a lot of death in the street, right, basically from murders uh, or traffic fatalities. And what's going on was the, the fire department's coming out. And they're taking their fire hose and they're washing it down a storm drain. Well, that is against the law, both by city laws and federal law. You're, you're basically spraying down a fire hazard. I mean, I'm sorry, a biohazard down a storm drain. And that's, it's just, you know, ludicrous that they're able to do that. So I, I started focusing on that and how to, how to deal with cleanups in the street. And uh, then when we looked at other areas of law enforcement, we looked at jail facilities. And you say, hey, you know, these guys are being put in a jail and then, they're being released afterwards. Well, what type of disease did this guy possibly have? You know, and did they decontaminate that jail after the person left before they throw somebody else in there? Uh, same thing in the back of a police car. You know, you'll get blood, you'll get urine, you'll get feces uh, and skin contact diseases. So I said, hey, you know, this, all this has to be addressed. And uh, I developed a protocol for law enforcement and it, it took off. It took off. And so now we're servicing uh, probably at least 50 cities all throughout the Southern California area. You know, I started it in 2000, so we're going on 19 years now. We got our first little building, and then uh, now we're in a 6,000-square-foot warehouse with, with offices. And, you know, it's, the, the calls are constantly coming in for service. Ben has built a system for approaching crime scene cleanup and trained his crew in the safest, most efficient ways to clean up a crime scene. But he had to learn that himself the hard way. I can remember some of the early ones that, you know, there were, there were hard because there were no, when, when in my case, there were times where the phone call came in and, and I didn't have help and I had to go by myself. And, you know, I had a, I'll never forget, I was in a, a commercial building and this guy had a, a large sofa up on top of the office. So it was a, it was a built structure inside the office with a sofa up there, just like in storage. 
Well, the guy committed suicide on that sofa. So I'm, I'm up there and I'm thinking, okay, well, I got a, a staircase I can get down and okay, I just got to get the blood cleaned up. And so I'm, I got this, you know, these, these huge cushions and I'm cutting them up. I'm putting them in the bags. And remember I'm all alone and I got an eight foot sofa. So I get, I cut the foam out and I, I get the next level down and I finally cut through the base of this thing. And there must've been five gallons of blood. It seemed like it, it just seemed like this enormous amount. And, and I was like, Ugh. Oh my God. Yeah. So now I got to get, how do I get this? And it was like a balloon kind of holding it. And if it breaks through the bottom of the sofa, it's going to get all over the place and I'm going to have a bigger mess to deal with. So I ended up getting towels and drags and, and I was soaking it up and, getting it, putting it into the bags. And, you know, so, I mean, I was just, it was just like, oh my God, I, I need two to three people here to help me. But I didn't, you know, you're sitting here working for somebody and you're all by yourself. But uh, I ended up toting that thing down the, down from the very top, all the way down the staircase, bumpity bump, bump, and threw it into an old 1982 van and started trekking my way home, you know, for $700. And uh, I, it was, it was just a crack up. And, I, I tried, I just remember, I kept saying, I'll never go by myself again. I'll never go by myself again. But, you know, it always happens. And, you know, you, you work your way, as we kept seeing these scenes, you kept seeing different things happen. Uh, and mm -hmm. one of the things that's the, the worst stuff that goes on is decomposed bodies. I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's, it's just horrific. It's hard to imagine anything worse than having to clean up after a decomposed body. The coroner's office takes as much of the body as it can from the scene, but there's always matter left behind. Here's another warning. Ben's descriptions are quite graphic. You know, we, we've had a, I remember a gentleman that was probably 350 pounds that decomposed on a mattress, and he was there for almost three weeks. So this, you're going to have maggots everywhere. Flies are buzzing around through the house. And, you know, the flies actually, they ingest the body and then they regurgitate it on the walls. So you have black spots and brown spots all over the place where these flies have just really made a mess. And, you know, here you are. We, it was the best thing I ever did was I invested investigated about masks and what type of mask you could wear to eliminate odor. And we found that 3M tri-filter mask and it protects against inhalation disease, protects and blocks all odors. Uh, and protects against gas. So it was like, this was, this was a godsend, you know, because we're wearing them, we're in our suits, we're sweating to death, and we're, you know, we're having to literally stick our hands in this nasty matter and cut it up with razor blades. So you're, you're sitting there just, you know, tearing apart a mattress by hand, packaging all this wet, decomposed waste. Uh, so those are, those are the worst <laughs> side that you'll ever see. Yeah, the decomps are, you know, the minute we hear decomp, you know, it's, it's always going to be a big trigger to say, oh, God, okay, how bad is it? So, who pays for the cleanup when your home becomes a crime scene? Biohazard cleanups inside a residence are normally, I'm going to say 90% of the time, covered by your insurance company. So, when someone happens, you know, we come in and we work with State Farm, AAA, Farmers, all the big companies, and we go ahead and we do an insurance billing for them. Uh, we'll, we contact our insurance, we get a claim number, and then we come in and we'll do the whole cleanup, and then we'll request uh, for services to be for repair. So they may have new carpeting, perhaps uh, the walls need to be painted, uh, ceilings replaced, any kind of damage that has to be. What we do is to remove it will be repaired, and that'll be taken by the insurance company. Now, there's one thing that's interesting that a lot of people just don't know about, 
and it's the California Victims Compensation Program. And, you know, I, I keep watching this every time I see television in Los Angeles. Uh, and this is only in the state of California now. They, but you're watching the news and they say, you know, they're holding a fundraiser uh, to raise money to bury someone that was murdered. Well, the California Victims Compensation Program, they actually pay for the funerals. They pay up to, I believe it's $8,000 for the funeral. They pay us up to $1,000 to come in and help out clean a crime scene. So in the event of a murder uh, or, or a violent crime, there's always a compensation program that's available to them if they simply look it up. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. But so in the houses, we have, we have homeowner's insurance. We have the compensation program available to them. And then, of course, the last thing is that they end up having to pay it out of their pocket. Um, when it comes outside, then we're dealing with public property. Now we're working for the cities. So the cities that we're working with, we have a specialized unit that goes out. We have a, a special process that, that actually vacuums up the blood uh, and biohazards. And we then are working for the city and we build a city. The cost for hazardous cleanup is not as much as you might think, at least by the honest cleanup companies like Ben's Emergency Response Crime Scene Cleanup Team. If you have a decomposition, the body's been down about a week, you're probably looking anywhere from the low side, $1,500, the high side, four or $5,000. It all depends on how much damage mm-hmm. is done from, because it's a big difference if you die in the winter. Uh, you know, and it's 60 degrees, or if you die in the summer and it's 102. That makes a big difference in a week. Can you imagine what it must have been like to show up to someone's home when they didn't expect to die? What secrets they kept behind closed doors? Ben has the task of stepping into all sorts of lives and situations of remaining respectful with the family and trying not to be shocked by what he finds. The, the, the oddest things we usually find are, are usually sexual related. Um, you know, the toys that they may have had, sex toys that they, they had or people were embarrassed about. Um, I had one lady, she had lanyards tied off into the four corners of her bed and her husband killed himself. So we had to remove the bed and found out that she liked to be tied down. You know, little, little oddities like that. Um, and then, you know, you really get the weird ones. Um, one of the weirdest cases that, that we did have is, a gentleman was a hoarder. Um, he actually was a, a he actually had a high profile job here in Los Angeles, but he would create things out of feces and urine that he, and he would collect them in jars. Uh, and you know the the family is just just horrified when they when they find this stuff when we're we're recovering it. We're going like, Dude, this is just off the off the chart weird. Um, so you know it's it's there's a lot of embarrassment with that type of stuff. But other than that, that's, those are the normal things. If that's considered one of the normal things, how strange does it have to be to be considered weird for Ben Mean? I'll never forget, I met a guy, and he was very, he was very sensitive, very concerned, and he wanted to make sure that, that we weren't going to be offended, um, that we, we were okay with going in to clean up this death. And it was a decomposition uh, that occurred in a bathtub. And I said, Bud, what's, what, you know, listen, I'm a retired homicide detective. Not much phases me. What, what's, what is this? And he says, she was a dominatrix. And I thought, oh, my God, really? And so okay. this condominium, oh, yeah, this is good. And so this condominium, you look at it, and it's every day. doesn't look any different. But as soon as you open the door, you thought you were in a dungeon. And the entire place was painted black. 
It had coffins, the spinning wheels with spikes. It had all this, you know, ornate stuff for, for basically for a sex slave. And um, we, we went upstairs and the, one of the big problems we had, we had no lighting. It was really dark. And as I'm going up, I'm looking at pictures of this beautiful girl and uh, she's dressed as the devil and she's in tights and she's always got, you know, horns on her head and, but she's gorgeous. And these are just photographs along the wall. So as we get upstairs, we get to the bathtub and you see where, where the death scene was. She basically overdosed on drugs. Uh, and in that, in that bathtub, she decomposed. So it was, it was fairly contained. Odor was bad, but we, we had to deal with the entire house. So once we got upstairs, there was a bedroom and she had black roses, probably 60, 70 of them coming down from the ceiling, aiming down over her bed. And that was like her, her lair. You know, this is where she slept and, 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 you know, her care was taken. The next room over was a full on sex dungeon. And it had, I mean, sex toys, whips, chains. Uh, it had boxes that you could be stored in like a dog to be locked up in. It had these cabinets with spikes that you could be closed into. Um, she had swings that you could, you know, had handcuffs hanging from them and electrodes that you could put in places. You, who knows where it went. But, and, and then finally I found it. Literally, it was a menu. And this menu was everything that she would do to you, you would check it like you were buying dinner. And you'd check it, and then you'd say, okay, I want this, I want this, I want this. You know, they, they, they asked for spanking. Uh, they wanted you to be gagged, uh, blindfolded. Did you want, uh, oh, this is crazy, electrocution, nipple electrocution. Uh, there's, oh, so many different things. Um, anal penetration. Uh, and then one of the questions, and, and there was there was so much I can't remember everything, but I do remember is like, is there allowed if you wanted to tap out, if it got too severe, what was your safety word? You had to say it, and then you, she'd stop, or you signed this document that said no tap outs, do it, and and it was crazy, absolutely crazy. And so I'm walking around the room, and I'm in this dungeon, and it's dark, and I got a flashlight. And I keep thinking that, you know, her assistant's going to pop out somewhere and, you know, and get me. And I, so my, my buddy, Tommy, he dropped a hammer on the ground and I about shot through the roof. I was like, oh, my God, came running back out of the closet. So, so it was it was a weird scene. Uh, it, it made me it made me laugh in a way because I've never seen anything like it in my life. But uh, we ended up doing the cleanup and the owner. I can understand the owner's concern. Uh, you know, he wanted to make sure that we weren't going to be disturbed by it. Sometimes scenes are so cluttered that Ben and his team actually find evidence and they work with the police on the recovery process. Evidence recovery, is it, it happens with us a lot. Um, and, and one of the things, too, is that we work so closely with law enforcement. Um, they'll also tell us, hey, they say, hey, guys, you know, we're still missing a shell casing. There's a lot of debris in here. If you come across it, could you, could you let us know? Absolutely. And then that gives us, that puts us also on the hunt because now we're really looking for stuff. Um, but, you know, you get into conditions that, you know, you, you may not uh, be able to, to, like, move every piece of trash and debris. Some of these homes are hoarders and just filth conditions where there's trash everywhere. And you look as good as you can, but it's not until you disturb it, you start throwing it away and picking it up, do things fall out. Um, and that's how you find shell casings. Um, on another case, uh, I was working on a, 
it was a, a murder suspect uh, who ended up, he was actually shot and killed. And they said, you know, he had a gun, he had a gun, he had a gun. Well, they tear gassed the house. It was really a mess, um, but they never found the gun. And while we were upstairs in the attic space doing the, the um, removal of all the insulation, boom, we found a gun. It was laid up underneath. He hid it in the insulation. So, you know, that's like a needle in a haystack, but not until you pull all the insulation out of the house do you pop something like that. Uh, yeah. Right. And then, like you said, you know, bullet, yeah, when we're, when we're got a situation where we're removing a wall and the bullet may have passed through someplace, well, all of a sudden it's lodged and thing, there's a bullet sitting in a, in a, in a, a, a well of a wall. You know, they just didn't find it. We did. Uh, so we, what we do is we always take a picture of it. We find the evidence, we photo it in place, we stop off and we, we call uh, the detectives. Uh, in one case, this was pretty crazy. Um, and you know, it was, it was a woman who was basically tied and bound to a bed and she was held captive for weeks. Um, and then finally the, the, it was a boyfriend that was doing it. He ended up killing her and uh, killed her with an ax. And it was a real gruesome scene, but when he was done, he, he basically cut the ties. Well, the body was left in there and it, and it was decomposed really bad. I mean, this, this was really a, a gross scene. It was a small twin bed. And uh, they, they came and the, the coroner took the body. Um, they took the evidence shots and stuff. But when we broke down the bed, we found the ligatures that, were bound, that bound her and the evidence crew didn't find it. So we called the police department back and said, hey, listen, I think these are probably important to you and important to your case because it shows she was bound for a long period of time and it's going to add to your murder charge. Um, so they came back out and, you know, it was a little embarrassing for them that, that we found it at that level, but I understand the, the thing was disgusting. And if you couldn't even touch this mattress without, you know, getting slime and goo on you, but they, they ended up taking the ligatures and, and using it for filing. As a former homicide detective, Ben brings such a specialized set of skills to this job. It's not easy building a crew to help him grow his business. We got a good group of guys right now. Um, and so when all of a sudden we're, we're like in need of help, um, we always take applications in. People will send me an email uh, off our Internet and they'll say, hey, I'm interested. I'm interested. Uh, we get a lot of a lot of females. A lot of women want to work for us. Um, and I do interview them. I, you know, I have no problem with with hiring a woman at all. And but when we sit down with people, they they think that this job is like we're going to go scrub walls or we're going to we're just going to clean. And it's it's not. It's really a lot of construction. So when, when I sit down with somebody, I ask them, hey, how much construction knowledge do you have? Uh, do you know how to hang drywall? No. Do you know how to cut through floors? Do you know how to use a power saw? Uh, you know, because this is basic construction that, that we're going into. Can you lift this amount of weight? I mean, it's, you're going to be carrying heavy things. Uh, and all of a sudden, people are like, well, what do you mean? You're, I got to cut a hole in the floor? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to be removing floors. Do you know anything about construction? Because if you set your saw blade too too long, you might cut through some electrical. You might cut through a gas line. You know, you, you got to know about construction here. And they're like, oh wow. So it it is. You know, when you're looking at a good a good possibility, you need somebody that that has construction knowledge. It's done some in the background. Um, also has a good personality. Um, you have to have somebody that can talk to people. You know, they got to have some sympathy. They got to be able to communicate with people. They got to have construction knowledge. Um, they got to have great driving records um, because we do a lot of driving. You know, our, our trucks run all over the place. Um, and, and yeah, so, the, but that's, that's what it takes. 
and we put them on a probation period and, and we get them trained. We do all the training in house. You know, we, we want to teach them our way. I'm, I'm kind of anal. Uh, I run this kind of like the, like if you think of the firemen in a fire department, everything has a place. Everything has a reason. So our trucks are stacked and are stocked the same as every single truck. So, you know, if you need to go get a razor blade, you know where that razor blade is going to be. If you're going to have chemicals, you know what the chemicals are going to do, what type of organism it's going to kill, and where that's going to be. And they're constantly stocked. Every day, there, someone comes off that truck. If you took something off it, you put it back on. So, it's, you know, it's, it's a good system that I have. Sometimes, great employees can be found closer to home. When my daughter, uh, she went to college, and she was a softball player. So, you know, she, she was playing softball up at Northridge University. She's on full scholarship. And I remember walking up to her and I said, honey, I said, you're on full scholarship. And I go, you're a freshman in college, but what do you want to do? I said, she goes, dad, I want to work for you. And I was like, oh my God, really? She says, yeah, I want to work for you. And I said, okay, then go get a business degree. So uh, four years later, she, she did great in softball, had a great career. Uh, she walked out with a bachelor's in business and she showed up here. And she's been working with me ever since. Uh, Kristen's a, a great daughter. Um, she's an incredible employee. Uh, she's the kind of person, though, I was kind of hoping she'd take over operations. And she stepped back and says, Dad, I want to be in the field. I want to work in the mm-hmm. field. And I was like, okay, but that's not what I want out of you. I wanted you to run the place here. Uh, but she, she mm-hmm. really has her foot out the door. She loves to get outside and work. She's a strong young girl. Uh, and, you know, she's doing great. But she recently got married, uh, and so she's been working in and out of the office a little more often because she just uh, has blessed us with two incredible grandkids. So I've got uh, a two-year-old and a one-year-old right now, uh, and I'm a, I'm a granddad. With this, the business the way it is, Kristen's able to still run our operations and help out here at the office while she's raising my grandkids. Uh, I, I really want her to be home with them on a, on a regular basis. So she's kind of on a short hiatus until they get they get a little older. Ben's son Kyle worked in the family business for a time, but he was never quite as passionate about crime scenes as his sister Kristen. Kyle Kyle's a special kid. You know, you got to realize he's you know at this point he was uh, 19 years old, does not listen to a thing I say, uh, and we're working on a. It was a hoarded house that was the the person died inside the swimming pool and decomposed. He was in the pool for three weeks. So we had pumped the pool down. We had most of the water out of it, except for probably about, oh, maybe 60, 80 gallons, which is at the very bottom of a deep pool. And I came back in the backyard and, and they were, the guys were working and Kyle just worked with one of the employees. He's, he's kind of a helper. And so I see him standing on this, this diving board. And I go, I go, you know, Kyle, get off that board. It's old and brittle. I go, my God, the thing could break and you're going to die. Get off that. And so he does. And he listens to what I say. And I said, why well, I'm dealing with the house. I'm going back to the house. Well, my manager Rod was with him and Kyle walks right back on that freaking diving board and snap bang. It breaks in half. Kyle falls and he's, he looks like he's trying to catch himself or climb a ladder in the air. And he slides down the pool right into the goo. And slips. I mean, his he's he's knee deep in oh my God. the grossest water. Kyle's running out of the pool as fast as he can, tearing off his clothes. So I hear all this commotion. I come back there. I see Kyle sitting there in his tidy whiteies, and he's half naked with 
you know, saying, I got to go home. And I said, my ass, you're not going home, pal. I go, get a hose, clean up, and get a suit on. (laughs) (laughs) But that wasn't the end of Kyle's crime scene career. Oh, no, no, no. Ben had another special job for Kyle. Uh, We got a phone call from a producer, and he said, hey, listen, we, we see you have this crime scene cleaning business. We'd like to punk one of your guys on a new show, uh, and it's called Room 401, and it was part on t- MTV. So I was like, I said, dude, I said, okay, uh, you know, I, I don't think we have anybody here that you could punk. I go, most of my guys are, you know, 30, 35 years old. I don't think you're going to trick them into anything that's, that's going to be that funny. And I was sitting there thinking for a minute, and I thought, oh, my God, my kid Kyle, he's, he was, he's 18 years old. He's a pain in the butt. You know, he's constantly, you know, bugging me and, and he's, I want to go party. I want to go do this. You know, he had the hair with the skunk thing going down the middle of it, but I wouldn't give him money unless he earned it. So, you know, he always wanted me to give him money. I said, no, you're going to earn it. So he'd work with me. So it was funny. So all of a sudden we set this show up and it's, I, I told the guy, listen, I've worked in TV a lot. I really, really want to see the set. So he invited us down. And I said, oh my God, this is incredible. MTV put out a lot of money. They put this huge warehouse up, and what they did was they had the corner wagons, police cars, uh, detectives, and inside the warehouse, they had a, a gurney with a dead guy on it. So I said, dude, this looks incredible. Okay, so we're all set. We figure out how we're going to handle this. I called Kyle, and I said, Kyle, I need you to help me. And he goes, no, I'm going to a party. I said, Kyle, I'll pay you $400. I need you to help me. And uh, that was how much the show paid him to be on the show. So... So he comes down, he's, he throws his T-shirt on that he wears, and we jump in a truck and we drive to L.A. So this is, this is our shot. We pull in with the truck. Detectives meets us outside, and off we go. We walk into the, the building, and there's this disgruntled detective reading a paper, you know, and he's sitting there. And, and Kyle, can, from this office, can see inside the warehouse where the dead body is. There's blood dripping out of the body onto the ground, people mulling around, doing evidence recovery. And I told Kyle, and I said, Kyle, I, you know what? I got to go. I'm going to go get the stuff we need to clean this up. I'll be right back. So I exit the, the office. Well, while Kyle is staring out the window and, in, and looking at the dead body, they bring a ghost, a body up out of the body. So it's a ghost illuminated. And what they did was they were able to, they were actually to had an actor that they videoed and they shot it onto a, a plate glass that was in front of the, the dead guy that Kyle couldn't see it was a huge sheet of glass. So it created a hologram. Well, the ghost came up and it just looked incredible. And Kyle's eyes just bugged out of his head. And the, the, the ghost is touching his body and touching where the, the hole in his chest was. And it's just like, oh my God. And you see Kyle looking at the detective like, do you, do you see this? Do you see this? No, no, nothing. Nobody's paying attention to me. What the hell? So at that point, the ghost lays back down into the body and disappears. I come walking in and he goes, dad, I, I need to go outside. We, we need to go out. And I go, what's wrong with you? I go, we're going to clean this. <laughs> no, what's wrong with you? And he goes, so we go outside and he's in the truck and the truck's all wired up. And he goes, he sits there and he goes, dad, I, I don't do drugs. I'm not, I haven't been drinking, but this, this, this thing came up out of this guy's body. And like, uh, uh, and I'm like, dude, come on back. We're going to go back in there and clean this scene. No, I don't want to go in there. It's like, okay, all right. So all of a sudden the detective comes out and he says, hey, you guys, you got to see this. I've never seen anything like this before. And Kyle's, Kyle's like, 
you saw it. Okay, cool. I want to I, come on. So Kyle runs back in. We're back in the office. And we're now we're all looking through the window and at the dead guy. Well, all of a sudden, whoop, here comes the ghost. The ghost sits up. And Kyle goes, there he is. <laughs> you see that? And the detective goes, what are you talking about, Kyle? All there, oh, I just see some I blood. What? And I go, I go, Kyle, what are you talking about, you idiot? I go, there's nothing but blood there. So the ghost takes his finger, puts it in front of his mouth and goes, shh. And he yeah. goes, Kyle just looks at us and he goes, he goes, I got to go. And so Kyle started crying and he ran out the room. And uh, that was at the point where he comes out the door. They did the reveal. There was like 30, 30 of the, uh, the group members that put this cast on. And, and they all said, Kyle, you just got punked on MTV. And it was hilarious. I mean, this thing ran number one. It was all over television for almost three months. And, uh, you know, his phone was ringing off the hook. Yeah, made him famous. Yeah, and we got we got calls from every producer in the world. We want to produce a show with you two. We want to do this. We want to do that. And, you know, of course, it, it never it never came to a point where it works. You know, they, nobody's been able to sell right. show just because the crime scenes are too harsh to deal with. But everything turned out all right for Kyle in the end. So Kyle's gone on. He's he's a he's now you know professional hairdresser. Works out of Los Angeles. Works in the movie industry. He's he's very he's very well to do, and he doesn't have to clean scenes with me anymore, which is which is a blessing. So. Ben's obviously a fun guy and makes the job as enjoyable as he can. But there are some scenes that he'll never get over. No, the death doesn't bother me. The 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 things that bother me are kids when it's got something to do with a child um, that it really, it really hurts you. And, you know, I, I don't know how to, I just, I guess I don't know how to handle that yet. There's no way I can push that feeling away. I think one of the worst cases we ever had was uh, a, it was a mother. Um, she got up in the morning and she asked her husband for a divorce and he got his gun and he killed both his young children and then committed suicide, told her, you don't need a divorce. You don't have anything left. And he shot himself in the head. And that was just oh to me the God. most devastating thing anybody could ever do. And my, my manager was with me and I'll never forget he has, his daughter was real young and these, these poor little kids were just killed, you know, just, just like nothing in their beds. And, you know, you're with their toys and you're wiping off toys. And it, it was, it was tough. Mm-hmm. And those are, those are the kind of things that happen. And it's, we, we've done it multiple times and, but you'll never get over it. It's not something I want to deal with ever again. Doing crime scene cleanup in Southern California has its perks, especially when you have Hollywood connections. You know, it, this is hilarious because we shot for two solid days, and uh, it was, I think it's in season four, uh, and with, with Bosch. And it, we're, we're the very first day, I remember we were sitting there, and with, with Bosch, the, the character, it's all about Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, Mike, Michael Connolly, he's the author and writes the books. He's an incredible guy. Um, and, and I, you know, I was interested in meeting him, you know, I've heard nothing about good things. And my wife loves to read his books. And, uh, so we're sitting there and they had us, it was a a scene where we're we're cleaning up one of the the railroad cars, um, at Angel's flight. And so we end up, they shoot one day with us cleaning one day with us walking. Uh, the next day we come back, um, and we're, we're walking past the actors and, part of the shot and, you know, and then our truck, they shoot all this. So again, the shit, they shot solid two days with us. And uh, I was sitting there and, and I was in the parking lot. Uh, it's a field lot where, where they, they feed everybody. They have the big tents. It's a large production. And I see Michael Connolly walking across this, uh, the path. And I thought, you know what, heck, I want to meet him. Uh, so 
I just walked up real quick and I introduced, excuse me, I introduced myself and I said, hey, I'm Mr. Connolly and my name is Ben Mim. And I said, I'm the crime scene cleaner that works for the city of Los Angeles. And um, that's one of my trucks that we're involved with, you know, we're involved in these kind of cases. And he says, wow, that's your truck? And he goes, can I look at it? I said, yeah, come on over. So he looked at the truck that I, I developed these systems for law enforcement. It's full. It's a high pressure wash system, vacuum recovery that basically can can vacuum up blood and uh, small fuel oils and clean scenes, you know, right out in the street really fast. And so he was really cool. And he was like, hey, let's take pictures. You know, let's let's take pictures next to the truck. And I go, cool. You know, this is neat. So I shoot it to my wife and she's like, well, have him sign the truck. And I go, I don't ask people to sign stuff. Come on, knock it off. So all of a sudden I, I figure we're done talking and I get in the truck and they're calling us for action on the set. So we drive the, the truck on up to the set and a few minutes later, here comes Michael Connolly again. And he's got people with him. And he wants to show people our truck that we built and how he does this and does that. Uh, he was, he was a really cool guy. And um, so, and you know, I get to be on Bosch and, and here's the show and our, our crime scene cleaner trucks in the show and all the film that they shot of us, uh, it finally airs. And you see uh, the top of my head walking to the truck. So that was hilarious, but my truck was in it. And so was the top of my head. Uh, so, but I spent two days there, got paid very well uh, uh, for my performance. <laughs> and then there's the kind of Hollywood cleanup that's done offset. We, we do a lot of the big stars. Um, we've done, if you, you, I'm going to say that, that a lot of the cases that we've been on, uh, especially in the Los Angeles area, are, are very popular. Um, but because of confidentiality and stuff with law enforcement, I don't have the right to talk about those people or those stars. But, you know, I can tell you that when we do clean those type of scenes, it's usually under heavy security. Uh, you, there's a lot of people involved. They're, they're watching over us, uh, and which is right. You know, there's times where, you know, we're, we, we've been over to the, the big hotels. Um, where a lot of famous people go to get away uh, and to to be what I'll call hidden. And when we do those scenes, you know, they ask us to cover all of our trucks, make sure that we don't have any names on our trucks, uh, just for the protection of the, and the reasons. So they, you know, they're those type of scenes we've had. Um, they're they're probably oh one or two a year uh, that occur, and and there's they're not usually anything. I haven't had anything gruesome or crazy, messy, uh, but, but they are, it is very, very controlled, I'll tell you, when we arrive. Another perk of the business, DGS. You know, it, it was funny when we were doing a production uh, with Jessica Everleth, we were, we, she kept asking us, well, what is all this stuff? What is all this stuff? And we said, it's dead guy stuff. And it was just a, it was a joke. It was a slang. And she goes, DGS. And I said, yeah, I guess so. We get so much junk. I mean, people, you'll go into a place and they'll say, we want all this gone. Well, like the only thing that was affected was the bed. But no, they want everything gone. But there's nothing wrong with it. It's, there's, we get dressers, we get mirrors, we get TVs, televisions. You know, it's all the stuff they want it gone. Uh, the hotels, that no, we don't want one thing in here. We want it all gone. But you, there's nothing wrong with it. Nope, we want it gone. Okay. So we, we made a nickname for it. We just called it DGS, and it, it was a nickname for dead guy stuff. And it was, it was just a quote that came off when we were doing a, a film production here and just to kind of enjoy things, and it took off just as a joke. Since his early retirement from the force, Ben's been able to launch a successful business collaborating with law enforcement. You might think there would be more retired detectives with the same idea. When you get retired from law enforcement and you've done a, 
full 30 year career, you're pretty much, you're pretty spent. And, and, you know, you're in a position where you don't got to work anymore. Most guys are getting 80, 90% of their salary uh, and they don't really need to go on uh, and doing what they're doing. A lot of, there's a lot of guys that go back into investigation, work for district attorney's offices or other attorneys uh, and doing backgrounds, things like that, because that's what they're, they're, they're efficient in. Uh, the crime scene cleaning business, I, I haven't seen another another guy involved. There's there's one other person that I know. Uh, he was a fireman, and you know he retired out from the fire department. He opened a good business, and he's done a very good job as well as the same as we have. And I think he's actually running and operating out of Idaho now. But uh, you know that's I, I really haven't had another guy do it. Although Ben is happy with his second career and the business he's built for his family. Crime scene cleanup isn't a business he recommends you go into lightly. 20 years ago, there, there weren't a lot of people doing it. Now, today, there's a ton. Uh, everybody in the world's doing it. They think you make big money doing it. We're going to jump in this field and be, be rich. Um, it's going to be very difficult. There's a ton of competition out here. Uh, every one of these flood and fire units now do biohazard. So it's, it's going to be a tough, tough way to start. I get phone calls on a regular basis from people because not only am I a crime scene cleaning company, I'm also a disposal facility for medical waste uh, and biohazard. So they get licensing from me to actually, you know, dispose of their, their, their materials. And it's been real hard. I know the new guys are, are just really struggling uh, to get going. Uh, it's not an easy thing. It's, you know, we've got over a million dollars invested here and most people are trying to start these businesses on a shoestring. And unless you don't, your competition is, very little in the area you're going to be in, uh, it's, it's going to be hard for you. It really will be. The job may be messy and grimy and gross, but it is also very rewarding. You know what? I mean, when you, when you look at what I do for a living and the majority of the time, although we're, we're there on the, on the worst person's, you know, worst day of the person's life, you know, I'm there helping them out. So when we're done, you know, they're thanking us. Uh, you know, we made a bad situation go away. So we end up being the good guys. Um, we, we work with people to make sure that these things can be paid for, you know, with, with insurance and with victims of violent crime programs. You know, we, we're always there helping them out. Uh, and and that, that makes us feel a lot better. I have, I have numerous letters of thanks from, from a lots and lots of people. Every year we get them. You know, we get Christmas cards from people that we did jobs for five years ago. You know, and that's, that's really rewarding. At WebSleuths, we're fascinated by all aspects of true crime, but rarely do we get a chance to talk with someone like Ben, and I want to thank him personally for taking the time to talk with our WebSleuths community. And I want to thank all of you, our WebSleuths members, for giving your valuable time and energy to help bring justice for victims and closures for families. The WebSleuths True Crime Forum has truly been a passion for me and for so many of our members. I hope it holds a place in your heart too. The Web Sleuths community has tracked evidence, chased down leads, identified bodies, and helped with some of the country's most difficult cases. Web Sleuths members donate their time and expertise, not for the recognition, but for the satisfaction of investigating true crimes and making a difference for the families of the victims. Through Patreon, you're able to contribute to WebSleuths.com and the WebSleuths Radio Podcast to help us produce more and more episodes like this one. Your contributions will unlock exclusive content and bonus episodes made especially for our true crime junkies. My name is Tricia Griffith. I'm the owner of WebSleuths True Crime Forum. 
and host of Web Sleuth Radio Podcast. And I am sincerely grateful for the opportunity to spend time with you and get to know you. Thank you for being a part of Web Sleuth.